0: Hey, welcome back again, lovely listening audience. I sure appreciate you downloading this again and listening. Boy, do we have a doozy of a show for you. Uh, Sandy Richardson is who I interview in this particular episode, and she is remarkable in many ways, but specifically because she's taking on, how shall we call it, The State, I guess, uh, capital T, capital S, after her rights were restricted simply for seeking mental health care. And this being a mental health show, I think it's important that we highlight some of the obstructions that we experience when seeking out such care, one of which is a restriction on firearms if you happen to live in New York State. And I'm not going to spoil it because we get into the details, uh, Sandy and I do. This is the third time I've gotten to talk to her about this topic the first was on my other show, Guns and Mental Health, which is a, a podcast about what you might think it's about, which is the combination or the nexus between the two cultures of firearms ownership and uh, mental health care. And that was about a year and some ago when she was first fighting this, this battle uh, to get her rights back. And then most recently, about a month ago, we interviewed her again. And I said, this is such an important topic that healthcare workers need to be aware of it Let's have you on Noggin Notes, too. So here she is on Noggin Notes telling her story again. And if you're in healthcare, care, um, you need to understand what firearms owners uh, perceive us to be doing behind the scenes and why they are so averse either to come into care at all or when they do get into care, uh, they're averse to telling us the truth. Uh, they don't often disclose that they own guns. They don't disclose their hobbies. Um, they're very tight lipped because there's a lot of very legitimate suspicion surrounding healthcare broadly, but mental healthcare specifically. And unfortunately, if we don't do anything to stop this, uh, we're going to fall out of favor and it's, it's not good. Um, and the reason it's not good is because more people just refuse to seek help and then they get worse and then we have bigger problems. So the other organization I work with, called Walk the Talk America, which centers on firearms ownership and and mental health access, is uh, you know is is working to prevent firearm suicide. And a lot of times, the reason people take their own lives with firearms is because they believe they can't get help, or that if they do, they're going to lose access to those guns, uh, sometimes permanently. So it's really unfortunate, and if you're interested in hearing more about this topic, because it is so pervasive and we have you know uh, approximately 120 to 130 million gun owners in America, which is, constitutes about a third of the country when you take all ages combined, um, it, it's a problem. And as Cindy and I get into with some of the statistics and data in this episode, you'll see how serious this topic is. We as practitioners can't afford to be pushing people away from care, um, so... I, I hope that you hear this with a, a keen ear and an open mind because that's what's required for those of us in our profession. We need to be continually learning, continually being humble, and continually uh, listening when people speak so that we can give them the best options possible for healing themselves. And if we close off our ears to, you know things like gun ownership simply through ideology or presuming that we know, better uh even though we may not then we run the risk of causing maleficence which is one of our five ethical precepts we want to avoid causing harm uh, and being maleficent to people so um with that i leave you this podcast in the meantime if you want to share this around please do so and if you want to take a free and anonymous mental health screening please go to wtta.org and Put the slash love at the end of it, WTTA.org slash love, and you'll find a free and anonymous mental health screening tool. Oh, Several of them, actually. So here's my interview with Sandy Richardson. Enjoy. Hey, listening audience. Thanks again for downloading our content. Welcome to Naga Notes. My name is Jake Wiskirchen, and today we have with us the lady I mentioned in our intro, Sandy Richardson. Say hi, Sandy Richardson.
1: Hi, welcome. Glad to be here with all of you.
0: I totally thought you were going to literally parrot me and say, Hi, Sandy Richardson, like they do in the, I about the, it. <laughs> the comedy shows of the 70s. Uh, so uh, in in my intro, I mentioned that you were a victim of something called the New York Safe Act. And uh, I want you to explain that. But um, before you do that, I want you to give a little intro of who you are and uh, and tell us like, you know, A little bit about yourself, if you would.
1: Okay, a little bit about myself. Um, Who I am, um, I'm a resident of New York State in the United States, and I am, I, I usually say I am a whole person, right? So I wear many, many hats. I have parents, so I am a daughter, I am a wife, I am a mother, I am a grandmother, I am a friend, I'm a colleague, I am many, many, many things, and different things to different people. Um, my background in terms of education and training is I have a bachelor of science degree in nursing from a very long time ago. Um, I don't currently practice nursing. Um, when my, actually when my kids were finishing up high school, I went back to school and I got a master of science degree in epidemiology, which is the study of population health. Um, and, and that is what I have been doing for over a decade now. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Yeah. So I I work with, you know, my interest is in people's health and well-being, um, whether it be individuals. Um, I did practice in nursing for a very long time. Um, And also my interest is also in population health and what we can do to keep, you know, whole groups of people well.
0: And as a result of that, you're really good at statistics and reading them and uh, reading literature and research because you have the education, the training, and the experience. Um, And I think that's really critical for what we're discussing today because a lot of times people will hear talking points about an issue, and especially in the time and age of post-COVID where agendas are pushed based on quote-unquote research or quote-unquote published papers or whatever, uh, we don't. The, the average layperson doesn't necessarily have the ability or the education, training experience to, to dive into the actual data and the statistical depths of them. And that's exactly what you've done. You went and pulled data, big volumes of data that were previously actually not even accessible to the common person to substantiate why what happened to you is ugly and should never happen again. So maybe this is that time to, to turn it over and say, go ahead and tell your story about what it is that you're facing and why you're even on this show right now.
1: Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm going to start by saying that some people have said, "Why are you still at this?" Because what happened that what was what happened was wrong, and what happened has mostly been resolved for you. And so people ask me, "Why? Why am I still at this?" Well, because it's happening to a lot of other people, and I have the skill set to bring to light what the problem is right um so what happened was i was very very stressed early in the pandemic um multi, it doesn't matter what stressed me people can experience stress from a variety of things it can be you know home work relationships um stuff you know society stuff community stuff whatever but people can be stressed and early in the pandemic i got very stressed to the point where it was interfering with my ability to function. So I, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I wasn't eating. And I said, huh, I should really do something about this because this isn't cool. Like, you know, Hanging out like this for a while is just not the way to be. So I sought to talk to somebody about it. So that would be somebody in the mental health professions because that's what they do. That That's the kind God, of thing you do. Jake, God bless right?
0: us too, right? For doing that.
1: Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, And so what I did was 100% right. I recognized that um, I was in a situation where I could use some guidance to put myself in a better place, to bring myself to a a better state of well-being. So I went about doing that. And when I did, (laughs) the people that I went to talk to decided that because I was stressed and obviously, you know not functioning well in terms of literally zero sleep for days right um and i happen to be a gun owner and tell them that so i related to them how guns are a part of my life in the sense that my family are hunters we hunt for food um, and so we enjoy having you know free range hormone free antibiotic free food it is healthy the animals are allowed to live their own natural life until you know they're taken by a hunter, as opposed to animals that are kept in what I call agribusiness farms where the conditions are not great and they don't get to run around and do the things that animals do in nature. Um, so anyway, hunting is something that, that my family does together. Um, it's something that connects us. It's something that brings us together where we socialize, we talk. It's a common um activity that we engage in together. So it's really good for me. It's good for my well-being in that sense. It also gets us all outside and moving, which is good for our physical well-being, as well as providing very high quality food.
0: Let me let me uh let me interrupt real quick because there may be people listening who don't grasp the concept of like what hunt your own food? D- what, what do you <laughs> live in the 1830s, right? Like, um so maybe break that down a little bit and give us an education on what types of food, where you hunt seasons, um, how, how it all works. Cause I think for, for a lot of people in a modern, you know, Western civilization, they're going to hear this and be like, Oh, you don't go to the grocery store. It's like, what what kind of weirdo are you? Right. Or they maybe don't even have any judgment about, they're just confused as to why somebody would even want to do that when it's so much more convenient to go to to the, the grocery store and, or they're intimidated by the prospect of like, eating wild animals because there's this perception that commercially raised animals are like cleaner, healthier, better for you or something. It's, it turns out it's actually the opposite. But like give give it a little like sense of why this matters and how it's still relevant in the, you know, the 2000s.
1: Okay. So, so yes, Jacob, and you bring up a, a, a very good point um, because other people might not have a frame of reference around that um so in new york state and in many areas in in our country um there are specific regulations around hunting and so there are specific seasons um typically where i am what they call big game season starts in the fall and that would be things like um deer from which you would get venison or um black bear um there are I'm trying to think what else there are turkey seasons um i don't hunt turkey but you, know, do you guys, other people do do you guys have elk, um, there, do are, you have elk there are there are you know, no? duck, duck seasons there are, you know there, there's there's all variety of, of um you know birds that you might hunt that are um listed so it's it's very specific guidance right and in new york state it is um overseen by what we call the department of environmental conservation which is the dec And so they have specific limits on how many deer a hunter can take and when they can take them, or how many of, you know, another kind of um, animal a hunter can take in a specific season. And the reason that they do that is to... um, It's really twofold to my mind. One is that you want to control the population, right? So what happens when white-tailed deer are overpopulated in our area is there are more car accidents because they're out in the streets. There are just more of them around out and about looking for food and you're going to see more of them and more of them are invariably going to be hit by cars, which is not good for the animal, not good for the people driving. It's just, right? So, so hunters do help control wildlife populations and that's done by following the rules that are set forth by the department of environmental conservation conservation um i feel like i missed a part of that
0: uh you had said there were two parts uh one was uh the population management um i'm not sure what you had in mind the other the other one
1: and and, well the other one is that is a way for people to secure food
0: yeah right yeah because a a deer like people don't think this like a deer they think, oh, little deer, like right. There's not much meat on a deer. There's not much meat on a on a duck, right? But there is, <laughs> like, there's actually substantial okay. meat. Do you guys have elk? By the way, I don't know if you heard me asking. We,
1: we do not have elk here.
0: Any bison? No. Do bison make it? They don't make it up there. Okay, so basically, we it up bear, we, we, bear, deer, and turkey is what you guys are for the for the larger well, animals.
1: Yeah, and there are ducks, and there are you know Rabbits. there are other. I mean, you can hunt coyote. That's. You know, that people do that too. Um
0: That's more for depredation it, though, like to keep, keep uh, like your, your farm animals safe. They, you don't eat coyotes, right?
1: And not that I'm aware yeah, of. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Anyway, moving not along. Okay.
1: I, I don't hunt them. So I, I don't know. Cause I, I don't, we, because we hunt with the purpose of acquiring food. I don't really engage, you know, with those other things. Like sure. Yeah. Birds are, okay. Birds are just hard because there's a lot of feathers involved. So I don't know how
0: much, how much meat on (laughs) a bird.
1: But yes, there is a lot of meat on a white-tailed deer. There is a lot of meat on a black bear. Um, And so it is a way to help control the populations as well as provide food for people. There are some hunters that, you know, avid hunters that will, you know, fill up, you, you get a tag basically that says, you know, you can have this many and you have to attach the tag to, you know, to your harvest. They call it the harvest. Um, when you take it. And so you get so many tags and there are hunters that really enjoy hunting and they fill up their tags and sometimes they donate the food to food pantries. There are programs where you can do that. That's really cool. Um, yeah, it is really cool, isn't it? Um, so I think does that, does that kind of cover it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think good? so. I mean, I I I hadn't thought about the food pantry thing. That's really neat. Um I thought about the oh, yeah. the herd control and whatnot. It's important mm-hmm. not just for, you know, auto accidents and stuff like that, collisions with with livestock and you know, things that are roaming the highway, but it's also good for um the the balance of the ecosystem, right? So you get an overabundance of coyotes, you don't have as many rabbits. So, you know, we sh- you get a overabundance of coyotes, you don't have rabbits, the rabbits uh, dwindle, that has an effect on you know uh, whatever the rabbits eat, like grasses typically, and then you get an overgrowth of grasses. And then if those grasses get dry in the summertime, you get a fire hazards. And so like there's a whole series of interconnected things that this department of, sometimes it's called the Department of Wildlife, it's the Department of Conservation, it's the Department of uh, Ecological, whatever. These state-run uh, government systems monitor these things and they keep track of the, you know, how many birds and ducks and geese and deer and bear there are out there. Um, and that's how they regulate how many tags go out. Right. So, um, so it is, it is necessary. Uh, otherwise you're going to end up with, if you don't have hunting, let's say we, you know, ban guns and guns are bad and you can't hunt anymore. Well, now you're going to have problems with overpopulation of certain things. And, uh, then somebody has to take care of them. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 multifactorial and I think one of the things too that maybe in the minds of people who don't hunt or who are interested in this is like what do you mean you shoot bears? The cute cute little furry little bears. Like what are they doing? Why are you shooting bears? Like so help us understand that. Well, <laughs> why are you shooting Bambi by the way?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just need did, to didn't do us much service an- with anthropomorphized
0: animals make them look human and yeah, so on and so right,
1: forth. Right. Well, before I get into the, your question about bears, I want to say if anybody's interested in understanding a real life example of how um overpopulation and changes in the the wildlife impact a, an ecosystem, um go online and, and Google and look up uh the, the information about the reintroduction of wolves into, into Yellowstone. Yellowstone and so yep.
0: That is so it made, good.
1: It made a huge difference. Like so, the wolves had been hunted out a long, long time ago. I, I don't remember the dates on it, and they're they they were pretty much gone. There just weren't a lot of them around anymore. That the farmers and the people around didn't want them because they, you know, messed with the livestock and this and that. And what happened in their absence was there was a whole lot of problems that that happened in the ecosystem. And then when they were reintroduced, things got back into balance again. And so that's an interesting, you know real life today story that you can, you can look up and read about.
0: It was fabulous. Um, It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's
1: pretty cool. Yeah. Well, bears, um, thankfully we don't, we don't have them like right here in my neighborhood. You know, occasionally you'll hear news stories about, oh, there's a bear in the the next town or there's some that, but I, I, well, I'm going to, I'm going to digress because I'm talking about the neighborhood. Two weeks ago, my neighbor next door had a coyote in her backyard. Now, the only reason they'd be in this, res- it's a residential neighborhood, right? Um The only reason they'd be in this neighborhood, of course, is they're looking for food, right? Well, we've been having a lot of deer in our neighborhood. You can't hunt in our neighborhood. There's there's regulations about where you can hunt because you can't fire guns a certain distance from houses and occupied dwellings and whatnot. Um, but... You, you do see the wildlife and you know, if, if the populations aren't controlled properly, they do start to show up in your backyard, basically.
0: Is right. That's what I'm saying. Right.
1: But where we do go hunting is in a, a very large state park called the Adirondack State Park. Usually we also, also go some other places too. Um, and there are black bear there and black bear, are big they're not necessarily as mean as grizzly bears right grizzly bears are out in your neck of the woods jake
0: we don't we don't get them down here they're they're much further north as it turns out um okay so we get we get uh we get black bears here uh mm-hmm. also up especially up in lake tahoe and they are uh they're a nuisance for people who uh in, unintentionally leave out food in the form of coolers overnight or in their cars because Bears will rip open car doors because they're very strong. They have big claws. Um, But there has never been a recorded attack from a bear in Lake Tahoe in the history of human beings at Lake Tahoe. So they're actually not scary. In fact, most of the time if you see a bear, you can be like, hi, bear, and wave your hand, and it like bolts. (laughs) Now, you never want to come between a a bear and her cub, however – uh, that right. is where you will get problems, and they do give you warning. It kind of—it kind of sounds like a straw going in and out of a uh, the lid of a cup, like hur, 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 except deeper. Um, uh, almost like sand people from Star Wars, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, yeah, bears. Bears are bears are cute and cuddly until they're not, and they're ripping open your doors.
1: Yeah, they're they're not like the teddy bears that that you might buy as yeah, a toy for. No, a and, they're, and, they're and grizz,
0: grizzlies yeah. and polar bears are the ones you absolutely, under all circumstances, avoid every time because they will take your head off
1: polar bears yeah i've, I've bears heard that sure. they're terrible i've yeah. never seen one yeah they don't drink Wouldn't coke like one.
0: they don't drink coca-cola like the commercials would lead us to believe
1: no no and and you know where you know we're, we're one of the other places that we go to our cabin in the adirondacks um we have a lot of apple trees up there they're really old um they've been there for a super long time and um the bears actually come and climb the trees to get the apples Yeah, and they leave claw marks in the trees. Right. Yeah. So it, it's food for them. But you know, in that case, we're not putting the trees, the, the apples out for them. But if people do leave food out in an area where there are bears or if the bears are hungry and you know, they can get into your garbage cans, they will. They're, they're smart. They're mm-hmm. curious. Um, And they're all about, and they have, an amazing sense of smell Mm -hmm. so they can pick up the scent of something that to them is food that we might look at and go oh that's disgusting right um they'll pick up the scent and they'll just they'll they'll get there and they'll find a way to get into it yep right so i know that some of the places that we drive by people actually put their garbage cans in a protected container Mm -hmm. right so it's like in a a wire mesh container to make it harder for the bears to get into it. Um, I've been to a, a, a community; they still have a community dump, community dump up there um, where you can, you know, take your your trash. And at the community dump, they actually had electric fences around the dumpsters oh, to keep the bears out.
0: I hadn't heard that yeah. before. Usually, it's the fancy latches that have like an over-under thing that only a human can like lift and pull uh, to keep the bears out. I see those all over the the forests and the campgrounds up here, but. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I love this discussion about bears. By the way, I came in talking about <laughs> barriers to care, but it turns out we're talking about bears. <laughs> Maybe that's, care, well, we care bears into that
1: because we're, we're talking about hunting and, yes, and why I know. people I know. might hunt. Right? No, I love so it. Bears can be nuisances. They can also be food. Right? You know, and and overpopulation of wildlife can be a nuisance and can be hazardous and can be bad for the environment. And, you know, if if you have professionals who set forth the hunting regulations in such a way that it can manage the wildlife populations, it's better for the environment. It, you know, reduces the nuisances and hazards of having an overabundance of whatever the the animal is. Um, Hunters play a critical role in helping to keep that balance in nature. Right. And I think that, That sort of ties up, why would people hunt?
0: Right. So we've established that hunting is critical for a whole bunch of reasons. You almost lost your ability to do that.
1: I did. I did because I recognized that I was super stressed and I would benefit from talking to a professional about managing that.
0: Yeah. Take us through that process and uh, explain what the New York SAFE Act is. And then Mm -hmm. how this ended up becoming an unintended negative consequence of such a thing.
1: Yes. So, back in, I believe it was December 2012, there was a school shooting in, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, Connecticut?
0: Yeah, Newtown.
1: Newtown, yeah. And... So in response to, you know, it was a tragedy. It's always a tragedy when people take other people's lives like that. It's just, it's horrible. And nobody wants it to happen. But as a consequence, and as in reaction to that, and I believe there was also another shooting in Western New York in Webster at around the same time. The legislature, the the lawmakers in New York State were tasked with doing something about what can we do about it to make this not ever happen again right that's kind of the mindset behind it so they put together this law it's called the new york safe act Um, i'm not going to get into all of the details of it we're going to focus on one little piece of it but basically it was supposed to make um firearms and people who use firearms safer for the general public, if you would, right? So there are a lot of restrictions on the the kinds of guns, the features of the guns. Um, It's it's just a lot. You can look it up online. There's a lot of stuff. But there's one piece in that New York SAFE Act that is called Mental Hygiene Law 9.46. And so that's the piece that impacted, almost impacted my ability to own firearms and to hunt. So what what mental health one does, it's really short. And I'm just gonna look at my note here. Bear with me. Two seconds. We are bearing bearing
0: with you. Black bearing with you.
1: <laughs> There's the bear again.
0: It's unbearable.
1: Okay. So it has it has four parts. Basically, it says these are the people that need to file these reports. And the reports go to the state, which I'll explain. Um, and they're to file these reports if they think somebody is a risk of harm to themselves or to someone else.
0: Involving a firearm. Right. Cause it, cause there's other avenues if they don't have firearms. Uh, Am I correct on that? No,
1: this, this is just any risk. Anyone. Okay. Okay. Anyone, any risk of harm. The firearm piece comes in down the road. Gotcha. It's, it's what they do with it after they get the report where the firearms. Okay. Right. So the law itself basically says, these are the people that have to report. And that list of people was was really short. It was only four types of healthcare providers until last July when they expanded it to a whole bunch of more healthcare providers. And it says, this is the stuff you're supposed to report to us. It's, you know, if if there's a risk of harm to self or others. Um, The second piece of it, Um, (laughs) tells us oh it does tell us um, but it's not just people who own guns who get reported anybody who's at risk of harm can get reported and then what they do when after the report goes in is they look to see if you have a registered um, handgun permit
0: there it is okay
1: yes and then it says that that there's that the law itself doesn't make it mandatory. Like it, first, it says it's mandatory; you must report. And then there's another section C that says this really isn't mandatory because if the mental health professional um, thinks that that exercising this this reporting, if you know, making the report would endanger anybody, including themselves, you don't have to report.
0: Which seems to undo the entire purpose of having such a law in the first place, right?
1: And um, it's also relieved them of any accountability for their action.
0: Meaning they can't be sued or getting in trouble if they uh, falsely reported. And I think so long as there's usually language in there, it's like, you know, uh, reasonably suspicious or in good faith or something like that.
1: That's exactly what it says. When made reasonably and in good faith, it can't be the basis for any civil or criminal liability right. of the the professional who reported so so basically the state is asking mental health care professionals to send the state of new york information when they think they think there might be a risk of harm to self or others not that there is that they think there might be
0: so it's opinion it's not it doesn't even have to be demonstrable you don't have to articulate it you just have to go ah smells weird to me i don't like it report yeah yeah pretty low bar
1: right and when they're exercised reasonable professional judgment that a person is likely to engage well and so this refers to another mental hygiene law um That is used as a reporting standard it's mental hygiene law 9.01 and that one actually says that there have to be threats or actions Mm. um and the the state actually has guidance on their website uh regarding this that says that that the need for care in these circumstances would be immediate
0: right right so like yeah, yeah and that's one of the the hiccups we have with laws like this is and I hope I'm not jumping ahead in your little uh, PowerPoint too far here, but we <laughs> you, you, if somebody's that imminently dangerous to self or others, uh, you you act, right? You you take action. You don't file a report that goes into some repository that then gets reviewed by somebody down the road that maybe or maybe not results in the restriction of their property. In this case, it would be a firearm property um, because that just takes too long. Like, what, what the hell, man? Yeah. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like, yeah. keep, them, keep them locked up in the hospital until the this thing goes through all the channels and then it's like, oh, okay, here, we're going to come to your home and take your guns. Now you're safe. Now you can can go home. It's like, what? Right. Meanwhile, what, well, shouldn't we be treating this person if they're that dangerous? Right.
1: Exactly, exactly, right. So so in my case, I went and I talked to these people and I was there for a brief period of time, a um, couple hours, right? And then they're like, all right, go on home. You know, follow up with your your regular doctor in a week. Blah blah blah. Give me a bunch of papers. Um, <clears throat> and so I I, I did that because I'm all about taking care of myself. I am about individual health, population health, my own health.
0: Yeah, you're in health healthcare. Health. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Right.
1: So I did exactly that. I went home, I went about my business, I did follow up with my primary care provider, all good. And five weeks later, because at this point I had no idea this report was even filed, five weeks later I got a call from law enforcement. So that was our county sheriff's office. They said, you know, basically, not not a quote, dark quote, clearly, but basically, give us your guns because somebody filed a mental hygiene law 9.46 report against you. And I was like, what? Because there was no conversation at all during that visit where I expressed any any suicidal or homicidal ideologies. Like it just didn't exist. But during that visit, I did talk to them about the fact that I do own guns. You know, they they want to know what are your hobbies? What are the things you're you're involved with? What is important to you? Right. And so I was honest with them. This is a thing that's part of my life. And it is important to me because I'm getting together with family and friends. We do this thing. It puts food in the freezer. It's right? It's an important piece of my life. Helps keep me healthy and well. Um, But because I shared that information and the person I shared it with clearly did not have any understanding that it was beneficial and not harmful, they they saw the fact that guns are part of my life as a danger. They didn't see It's positive impact at all.
0: That's a real shame. And they
1: said, "What's
0: up?" That's a real shame. Uh, It's 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 out of ignorance, and um, you know, I'll make a plug for Walk the Talk America, the organization I'm part of that you're familiar with. We do cultural competence trainings for healthcare providers in the firearms realm. It's the culture of firearms, so that we don't act out of ignorance and make foolish decisions about people's care. so, you know, if you're interested in that, go to WTTA.org and take our cultural competence course uh, and learn about gun culture. And go back and rewind 10 minutes ago and listen to Sandy talk about hunting and learn about hunting culture. <laughs> and, like, these are important cultural perspectives that people have that are very near and dear to them that come sometimes from many, many generations and get handed down. We, we can't just simply go riding roughshod over their very special and precious cultural traditions. Like it's, it's absurd to me that this, this would happen. I mean, absolutely absurd to me. And, and what's it out of ignorance? Yes, but fear also, right? Fear of the unknown, which is, I don't like the, I don't understand the gun thing. It's scary to me. It's weird. You must be a danger flag you. Right. So, okay. Okay. Jake's rant is over. Uh, please continue Sandy. Oh, you're you're right.
1: And it is out of ignorance. It's, it's either out of you know, the person who reported me was either ignorant of the law because the reporting standard was never met, right? So there's one standard of ignorance. Right. Um, the, the person reporting me was definitely ignorant of of what was important to me and how it was beneficial to me. You know, ignorant of the fact that not all guns are evil. Any gun can be harmful. Yes, that's why it's important to be educated about them and to practice using them right so somebody who target shoots is not out to do horrible evil things because they're shooting a gun they're out to practice a skill to stay safe while using a gun yep right not all guns are used with bad intent
0: most and and i think that that the overwhelming majority are not like overwhelming majority i mean even right down to you know we'll talk about assault rifles uh you know quote unquote the ar-15 the big thing that's been demonized by people lately uh i think there's like 300 million of them in circulation or something like that um it's not that's not quite accurate but but it's like one percent of those get used in crimes it's it's insane like um it's not it's statistically it's not even justified but but we still have this this fear impression right so um right
1: and people try and attack the AR-15s because, because they are a very, very common gun. They do show up in mass shootings. They, they do. I mean, you know. You tell me if you disagree with uh, that. But they. I actually they, have
0: the data on this. If you would like to hear it, um, collected from sure. uh, NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, they, are of the mass. This is also in our cultural competence training. If you want to see it, um, of all gun deaths in America, all gun deaths, roughly sixty-four percent are suicides, and of the remaining balance of uh, homicides slash negligent uh, slash unintentional slash law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, of those that are homicides, which is about thirty-one percent ish depending on the year three tenths of a percent all the way up to one percent in some years are mass shootings and of the mass shootings 14 percent of that three tenths to one percent of the homicides are done by rifles very very okay. very very infinitesimally small number
1: very very small number but people grab on that because that's what the news media picks up on. Now, if you stop and think about it, there are so many AR-15s because it is a, it is a safe, modern gun, and it is fun to shoot, okay? So, honestly, trying to ban them or saying that they're evil or bad because a very small number of people use them wrongly doesn't make any sense.
0: No, it doesn't. You um, know, there, it makes There emotion. are other
1: there are other things that people use wrongly too, and we don't try to ban those. Yeah. Right? So
0: Different topic yeah. for a different day. Let's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but it it's but it's, worth, but it's worth but it's worth noting that statistically, there's no substantiation for this over overarching restriction because you know people no. may. I mean, just I guess to put a bow on it, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, well, okay, but but they can kill people in big quantities faster. Like they can, right? There's a potential for it. Thirty round magazines and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that's fine. They're also the most efficient for defending. Because of the mm-hmm. same fact, uh, ergonomically they're they're what you want to use in a defensive mm-hmm. situation. Um, and there's a great video from T Rex Arms. Uh, they, they the 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 YouTube channel t-rex arms specializes in small arms because t-rexes have small arms it's really kind of a cute plan words Um, but but it's like it's a new it's a newer video that just came out this year called why everyone should own an ar-15 and there's you know there's a purposely intentional uh, inflammatory title to it but it's very very historically informational and I, i found it fascinating to see the evolution of the the science and technology of firearms specifically rifles to modern day, from uh, ne- near ancient times, uh, they start in the 1600s, but they pay reference to, to an homage to you know prior to that. But it's uh, it was really fascinating to watch that evolution and, and know exactly why that particular platform is so versatile and useful and um, beneficial to so many people. Um, not the least of which is you, know, you say target shooting, target shooting for defense. Yeah, sure, um, but not everybody carries a gun for defense. Some people just target shoot because it's fun and enjoyable and that's worth the you know, and long range shooting with an air 15 is quite therapeutic um so is you know hunting you can hunt with an air 15 as it turns out uh so yeah anyway um moving you on can, but
1: i prefer my kimber
0: yeah yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> i also have a thompson center for muzzle loading yeah you know? um correct Different, different kinds of guns for different purposes different right. hunting seasons but That's right. anyway yeah. um yeah so we were back to in ignorance so that report was filed in my opinion in ignorance ignorance of the law because the reporting standard was never meant ignorance of what was important and beneficial to me as as a a person seeking care and i really think that there was a degree of prejudice involved because I was honest and open that yes i'm a hunter i own guns it's part of my life and for somebody that doesn't have any understanding of that that cultural competence right there was a judgment passed on me because of because uh guns are part of my life Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so for somebody who has no knowledge of them and understanding of them They passed judgment. That's what prejudice is, right? They passed judgment on me without knowledge or understanding and acted in a way that was very harmful to me. You know, I was seeking care to enhance my well-being. I was not seeking care so that they could take away from me the things that helped to keep me well and healthy. So what ended up happening is I got that call five weeks later. um, And they basically said, you know, I said, what? Heck is this? You know, you're you know you you're telling me you're going to take my guns away. Why? Like, well, because this report happened. And I said, well, I I need something in writing. I this is just a phone call. So they said, well, the paper will come in the mail, and it did a few days later. And so I complied with them. Um, they wanted not just my guns; they wanted all of the guns in our household. So being that we are a family of hunters there's more than one um i don't own all of them they're not all mine right so they were disarming our entire family
0: that's wild and right? i want to highlight too that it took 5 weeks and by yes. then by then presumably you were probably healthy <laughs> you, yeah. you weren't you weren't stressed anymore
1: so Yeah. It took a while to work through that, but it's okay. It's all good. Um, Yes. So remember that if somebody is a danger to themselves or others, the reporting standard says that it should require immediate action.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Five weeks later, I found out I was reported. Nobody ever told me. Nobody told me they were concerned that I was a harm, you know, potential harm to myself or others. There was no conversation around it because quite frankly, it didn't exist
0: very much not immediate, even if you were, which you were not. And I'm sure you'll tell that shortly.
1: (laughs) Right. So five weeks time, I was home going about my business. I'd already followed up with my doctor. And if I really had been a danger to anybody, five weeks is plenty of time to of that. So this law, (laughs) for many reasons, doesn't do what, they say it's intended to do which is to protect people from harm um so the people who are reporting the healthcare providers who are reporting are actually harming people which is what this comes down to um i don't know jake is that enough detail on my story or were there more points you feel would be yeah helpful? no
0: i i think the only other thing you wanted to you should probably share is that the report itself was falsified
1: oh yeah okay yes so in this in this whole process, I did. Um, oh yeah, I guess there's a couple of pieces I should go into. In this whole process, and so the reports get filed. They get sent to um, the state. They go through a series of places, and then they end up with the Department of Criminal Justice Services, right? So now now because you went to get care, healthcare, you are in a criminal justice database.
0: Well, it's illegal to be sick. Didn't you know that?
1: Well, there you go. So,
0: totally facetious, so, and, by the way, not serious.
1: Right. So, so in the state of New York, on average, there are about just a little over eighteen thousand of these reports filed every year. I requested from the Department of Criminal Justice under what's called a Freedom of Information request. I request information on the counts, which is how I got the count. I also requested how many of those get reported to the county. So what happens is they get this list of people who've been reported. They hit it up against their list of people who have handgun permits in the state. Handguns have to be registered. You have to have a permit to own a handgun. If you have a handgun permit, they notify the county that you live in, which I, our our structure here is we have states, counties, cities, towns, right? That's, that's sort of how the mm-hmm. communities work. And the county court um, then notifies the person that they have to come to court because they're going to take their handgun permit away. So I happen to have a handgun permit, and I was given a court date, um, when, and that's that's actually what the phone call was about, right, because I had a handgun permit, they wanted to take it away. That, that's what the, the sheriff's office call was about. Um, so I went to court, and I hired a lawyer, and I contacted all of my trusted healthcare professionals, some of the, whom I've been seeing for like a decade. Um, and i asked them to document whether or not they felt that i was suicidal or homicidal and they're like what and so so they did they said you know i said this is what's happened and i now have to defend myself against this false allegation so because in the record so in in compiling all of this information to give to my lawyer to take to court i asked for a copy of my medical record in my medical record on one line The same line, it says no H.I., no S.I., meaning there's no homicidal ideation, there's no suicidal ideation. Same line, SAFE Act report filed. So there's no reason to file the report, but I filed it anyway. That, that's what that line says to me. Right? Yeah,
0: and as, and as oh. a former chair of my licensing board and one who knows the laws and ethics of his profession intimately, that would be a, a at least a sanctionable offense if not a full revocation. I mean, right. there's there's no doubt there that you in one document you say no suicidal, homicidal ideation and in another document, authored by the same person, justifiable reason to... Uh, Restrict a person's rights, like that's that's sanctionable at bare minimum because you falsified a record and acted what would seemingly be willfully uh, against this person. Uh, So that I would have filed a licensing board complaint, which you did, and I
1: did, I did, and actually the report was filed less than ten minutes after because the document I have, the medical record I have, has timestamps on it all. And so the report was filed less than 10 minutes after it was documented. No SI, HI, and SAFE Act report filed. So, yes. So I proceeded, well, there were a lot of things that happened. So I got all these documents. I did go to court. I got a day in court because I have a handgun permit. I went there with my lawyer. The conclusion of law from the judge stated basically that the report was, and I'm going to quote air quotes here, right? Arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discretion, and my rights were reinstated immediately. So I was I wasn't done with this because I'm highly offended that this happened. And, and now I'm, because I'm seeing more and more how harmful this is to people, I got a day in court because I had a handgun permit. of those 18,000 people a year who are reported get a day in court, 99% of them are never even told that they're reported and that they can no longer own a gun in the state of New York.
0: Even if circumstances change and they want to at some point down the road, they're still in the database. Well, the Department of
1: Criminal Justice only holds the records for five years, so I assume that in five years that restriction drops off, although I don't know... I don't know of a person in particular who's tested that. Um, but what I do know is I, and because my story is very public, I put it out there because this is atrociously wrong and it shouldn't be happening to anybody. Um, and people have reached out to me who've also been impacted by this. And and one um, young man <laughs> told me he found out he was reported when he went to apply for a handgun permit and was denied. He was like, wait, what? And then he had to try and figure out when was I reported? How do I appeal this report? And <clears throat> in that particular circumstance, there is no appeal process and you're never allowed to see the report. So you're never allowed to see what these people have said about you. And there is no process of appeal and all the, um, the state offices will tell you is hire a lawyer. Literally, the lawyers can't figure it out. This particular person has been working with somebody for, you know, lawyers for about three years, a little bit over three years. They can't figure out how to get them a day in court.
0: You know, and, and if you're listening from abroad and you're not in the United States and you're not familiar with our constitutional protections, um, we have something called a Bill of Rights, which ostensibly protects against infringements upon those rights. And these rights are considered Natural, born, inalienable, and some of them include the right to due process, meaning the right to appeal things if the government uh, takes your liberties away. So you know, so they can't just do these things to you, um, like restricting your rights. Now, there's something called the Second Amendment in the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights is ten amendments to the Constitution. The Second Amendment is the right to keep and bear arms, uh, and is you know, historians can go back and forth on this, but it's written intentionally broad, we believe, so that it can't be restricted. And the right to keep and bear arms is one of those rights. Uh, the right to, um, a speedy and fair trial, for example, is, is one of those rights. It's also called part of the due process. Um, one of them is the right to uh, not have your property searched and seized by the government without uh, certain, you know, uh, hoops that you, that should be jumped through. So this is a property right infringement. It's a due process infringement. It's a, it's a personal defense infringement. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole bunch of violations seemingly of the constitution of the United States of America, uh, which should be binding across all 50 States. And then the state of New York apparently has just decided to throw that out the window and, 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 and take things from people, uh, that, that, they don't have to justify, which is crazy to me.
1: Mm -hmm. So circling back to the, to the mental health care provider aspect and, and the fact that this, this literally was a false report. And in the state of New York, um, filing a false report is professional misconduct. So is failing to maintain an accurate record of a patient, right? So is causing somebody else to file a false report. Well, all three of those things happened. Um, so what I did was I filed professional misconduct complaints with our, uh, state office of the professions. And I brought them all the documents that I had and they were kind of like, wow, this never should happen. And I was kind of like, yeah, no kidding. That's why I'm here. Um, but so they went through the state I, I want to say the state was reasonably good about it. They went through the process of investigating this and they didn't bring it before um, the board. There are actually three professionals that I filed against in this circumstance. They, and they did bring it against the boards and they were not able to hold those professionals accountable for their actions, which to me as a healthcare consumer is frightening. Right? So, What they did was, by definition, professional misconduct, they couldn't be held accountable. So would you go to a surgeon who couldn't be held accountable for their actions? No, no. So why would anybody go to a mental health care professional that can't be held accountable for this reporting action, right? And it's the language of the law that allows that to happen. So even if the professional board had said, you know what, this really is misconduct, they can't do anything about it because the law is written to prevent any civil or criminal action.
0: Right. So
1: what what does that do? What what does that do for... Okay, so when you're talking about mental health care, you're talking about a trust relationship, right? The basis of a... a good therapeutic relationship is trust. If there is no trust, you're really not gonna get too far. But what that does in New York State is it puts, it, it puts this massive barrier between people who might need to or want to seek mental health care and the health care providers because they can no longer be trusted they can't be trusted because they can't be held accountable for doing something wrong. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to jump in because we're maybe not these days as much as other days, but we're dealing with a care access issue, right? And so in mental health in particular, we've long stood in the shadows fighting stigma and uh, you know trying to get people interested in care to keep them from getting worse when previously they would avoid care because of stigma, you know, and what we've done is we've just put a law in the books in the state of New York and other States, because there are other laws that are similarly written called red flag laws that don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have the same type of, um, insidious, onerous overreach, but they have the same repulsive effect, meaning they're repelling people from getting care. And we've just stigmatized mental health for a completely new reason other than it's weird and spooky and i'm afraid i'm going to get made fun of you know or it's it's creepy and i don't want to be vulnerable to a stranger like those were already barriers to care in the first place not to mention cost and access and lack of providers and all sorts of things now we've written a law in that says if you go get care you will be punished and you will have your rights taken and oh by the way there is no recourse to right. the people who strip them from you. This is right. awful, awful. And I know we're, you know, we're kind of trying to put a nice, tidy little uh, bow on this here in the next few the minutes, problem. but cause you've got another yeah. podcast to do and I have dinner to eat. So tell us the numbers because people are like, oh, okay, cool. Jake and Sandy, that's, that's neat, neat philosophy, okay. but, but okay. it sounds speculative. Give us some data. Because I know you don't. So I'm a
1: data nerd. Yep. Okay, that's that's me too. kind of what I am, as as my you know training in epidemiology. So, so I was seeking information about this kind of to, to inform myself, not knowing quite where where that would lead me or take me. Right. So I did get the information on the counts of the reports by year. Um, I did get the information on how many people actually get a day in court to say, hey, no, this is not right. Um, I did test out whether or not providers can be held accountable, and they literally cannot. So, so where does this take us? This takes us to a place where if you, if, if there's there's a research paper by, um, what's her name, Nicole Charter and a bunch of other people, They're a bunch of psychiatrists in New York State. It's called the Influence of New York Safe Act on Individuals Seeking Mental Health Care. And they did have a, a relatively small sample, a couple hundred, but what they found was 9% of the people who are already seeking mental health care would be less likely to seek care because of this specific law, okay? So I took that 9% and I ran with it and I applied it to population data from the United States census, You know, brought down to New York state level. Um, so I got all these numbers, all these big numbers and and I pulled them all together. And what I found, turn to my page, right? I have my numbers. Um, <clears throat> was that this law is preventing over 200,000 gun owners in New York State from seeking mental health care every year.
0: 288,000 by my count.
1: And that is a 16 to 1 barrier to care. So for every one report that's filed, there are 16 gun owners who won't seek care. But Jake, I want to point out one other thing about those numbers, because we're not just talking about gun owners here. That study was done on gun owners and non-gun owners. So if you take that 9% and you apply it to the entire adult population in New York State, it's millions.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. It's
1: millions of people who are being harmed by this law, whose only, whose only practical purpose is to strip people of their rights and not even in a timely manner.
0: Right. Like, it, 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 I want to highlight that. It's only practical purpose, right? Yeah. So- We can have philosophical purposes behind it, but in execution, it doesn't do any of those things. It doesn't keep people safe. It doesn't act in a timely manner. It doesn't spare anyone from harm. And the flip side is it causes many harms if at bare minimum by keeping people away who could be getting in, uh, which then leaves them to what their own devolution into worse psychiatric states, Failed marriages, uh, worse parenting, and at maximum, suicides. Uh, You're know, like, well, no, this is supposed to prevent suicides. It's like, yeah, but 16 to 1 ratio suggests otherwise. And by the way, those are very small numbers. Those are conservative estimates uh, yes. because if you take the population writ large across America, roughly 50% of people either own a gun or live with one. Roughly 30. 3 to 35% own a gun. So if you're telling me that 20% of people in New York own a gun, I'm not buying it. If, if it's that low, the numbers are still staggering. But if we take this and generically apply it across the rest of the country, you've got tens of millions of people who won't seek care because they presume that the existence of something like the New York Safe Act or the extreme risk protection order laws is only there to cause them more harm and more consternation and more expense. Uh, Even if they believe in it and trust it, uh, let's say they voluntarily go through the, okay, yeah, yeah, take my guns away. That's fine. How do you get them back? And I have a whole video on that too. Uh, And you can look that up on the Walk the Talk America website if you'd like. Um, But now, okay, so it's not just those four people that you mentioned earlier who can take who can file these reports it used to be psychologist physician mm-hmm. nurse and it's like social worker right yep. something like that now they've added my people marriage and family therapist mental health counselor um mm-hmm. what was the other one uh psychol uh psychiatrist is now in there um so
1: psychiatrist. well my and and you know they take it i'm going to interrupt you there yeah. for a sec. They take it all the way down to what they call a licensed professional nurse. In some states, it's an, they call it an LPN or an LVN, licensed right. vocational nurse. So I'm going to jump in and say my concern with this is if a person is really in a situation where they're, they're going to harm themselves or somebody else, action has to be taken right away. These providers are not authorized to make the diagnosis. They are not authorized by their license, by virtue of their license. They are not authorized to—I well, should say—not all of them. Some of them are to um, admit somebody for care, which is an immediate need. If right. there I is, don't,
0: I don't have uh, admission. Uh, sorry, I don't have admitting privileges in the hospital as a marriage and family therapist. I just—I can't do that. Physicians can right. do that, and then they have to be aligned with the hospital. So I still have to make another phone call or two, right, to the right. to the to the paramedics. Uh, which then will take the person to the hospital and the hospital does their own evaluation. So like immediacy really is a a joke anyway, because if a person's sitting in my office at Zephyr wellness, getting outpatient care and they are ideating suicide and they won't back down from the nine out of 10, you know, desirability to pull it off. And I go, I got to get you to the hospital. I have no choice. There's still a series of steps that get taken. Now, chances are really strong. They're going to end up in the hospital. I mean, a bare minimum, i like, I call the police and they handcuff them and stick them in the car and take them. Right. That's above and beyond any, I mean the, the, the astronomically in, insignificant probability of that happening is like, it's not even worth talking about because if I'm any good at my job, I get them reasonably well so that they can self admit that's, that's really what I should be doing. Right, but, right. but even if we did go that route, like, I'm still not going to take their property like what why would I do that because th- what that does is it says I don't trust the healthcare providers to whom I referred them for this higher level of care I I'm going to send you to the hospital and then upon discharge you're still so dangerous that we have to take your shit from your house are you kidding me Stop. keep them in the hospital what? if they're that dangerous don't take their property. Good well grief.
1: And the law only addresses guns, Jake. And I know right? it doesn't so even... if somebody's that dangerous and they go home to their house. How many hundreds of other things are in a home yeah. that
0: could be used for yeah, work? Rope and bleach and high places and swimming pools and you know all the alcohol under the cabinet and like good grief, man. It, it, <laughs> like if it's not if it's not overwhelmingly obvious at this point that this is clearly about gun control, I don't know what else we have to say. We have all the evidence here.
1: But the problem is it's breaking down trust between between people who might want care or need care and right. people who can provide that care. Right. And if you break down that trust, you, you're really hurting population health. So my opinion is because the numbers show that this is causing massive risk of harm to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in New York State by the language of the law, nobody should be filing the reports at all, because right. the language of the law says if it's going to increase the risk of harm, don't
0: that, file it. Br- I love I love that point. Brilliant. That's a brilliant point. Um, it's literally written in there, uh, and it and it yeah. says I'll read it verbatim so we're not we're not misunderstanding. Nothing in this section shall be construed to require a mental health professional to take any action, which in the exercise of reasonable professional judgment, would endanger such mental health professional or increase the danger to a potential victim or victims. The potential victim or victims is the rest of the population. Like yes. that's as clear as it gets. So like here we have the data. Now our job, this is why I'm having you on this podcast is if there's practitioners of any kind listening to this, please, for the love of God, push back because you will, right. if you endorse this kind of policy making, you will absolutely harm your own professional community. You will do it. You cannot avoid it. I don't care what you think about guns or gun owners. It does not matter. Your opinion does not matter. What matters is that they exist. They're out there and they will not seek care to the tune of at least 9%, that's harmful. That's, that's maleficent. It is an ethical violation. It is a legal violation. You should not do that. You should not endorse this kind of policymaking. And oh, by the way, that 9% from the, from the study, from those couple hundred people, I would like to point out the sampling bias error in that, which is pulled because they only studied people who were, guess what, already in care. Which is crazy. So like, they
1: already had some trust. <laughs>
0: they were already there, and they still said, "This is going to make me less likely to come in." So, mm-hmm. it, like, it's just it's just baffling to me. I mean, it 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 just staggers the imagination that healthcare providers just willingly go along with this and not turn on critical thinking. Uh, it's it's baffling, and and then the other- you know what what's to stop this from going to dentists and D.O.s. And orthopedists and you know, and uh, optometrists and pediatricians, because I mean they say physician, but it's like they could get it, they could also just say mental health people, right? Why do they bullet list them all? It's because they want to be as precise as possible to capture as many people under the same umbrella. And while we're at it, it's worth highlighting that more and more there's a push for, su- and I know you're going to pick me up on this one and I handed the baton to you, for suicide training and screenings, <laughs> upon admission or intake at places like dental offices or pediatrician offices. Um, and those questions ask, do you have firearms in the home? So we're assessing for suicide in these offices, Mm -hmm. possibly with people who are subclinical, but they hold licenses like Mm -hmm. dental hygienists hold licenses. Um, why is this a problem?
1: Because they are not authorized by virtue of their license to diagnose suicidal or homicidal ideation, which is, in in our country, a medical diagnosis. We have um, codes called ICD, ICD-10-CM codes. You have the name for it. International classification of diseases right
0: correct and uh, the mental health counterpart to that book is the DSM Which is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders But there's codes and these codes go off to insurances, and that's how we get reimbursed and the codes point to a diagnostic so your spotty liver has a code your um, Dermatitis has a code your uh, vision issues have a code your mental your anxiety has a code suicidal ideation as it turns out has a code
1: And so does homicidal ideation. And and the codes are broken down into more granular levels as well. Um, Every time they update, you know, from ICD-9 to ICD-10, they make it more granular, and Mm -hmm. fix it, make it better, supposedly. Um, But the point is that those are medical diagnoses. And if we are asking people who are not authorized or qualified to make a medical diagnosis to do so, that's that's not right. School counselors. There's a reason doctors go through the education they go through. They have a body of knowledge that other people don't necessarily have. It's a skill set. It's a, a knowledge base. And you can't just take other people and say, oh, hey, by the way, I want you to tell me if this person's suicidal or homicidal, because that is literally a medical diagnosis. Yeah. And they are not doctors.
0: I, I can I can do awareness trainings. That's fine. You know, you can be aware of what's sort of going wrong in your life. But to make a diagnosis that then is executable into the form of filing a report based on said diagnosis is well beyond the pale and so far outside of the scope of practice as granted by that license. I don't even know what to say. It would be like if I, as a master's level marriage and family therapist, were to get a four-hour training on um, myopia and then start diagnosing people with eye problems that then I could allow myself to, that the state compels me, not allow, but it says shall in here, right? Shall report. I file a report with the Department of Motor Vehicles so that you can't drive because I've done a little screening on your myopia and found out that you're nearsighted. Like, what the hell, man?
1: The appropriate course of action is if if there is a sign that this could be an issue, because that person's not, not authorized to diagnose, right. this could be an issue, you refer to a higher level of care.
0: Yeah, or the proper professional to treat that thing. You don't go right. restricting people's yeah. property rights or defense rights or due right. process rights.
1: So so wait, wait, Jake, here's here's the kicker for me in all of these numbers that I dug up. And there, there's a whole bunch more numbers, everybody. I'm just not spewing them all out because they can be confusing. But the kicker for me is that using population statistics for New York state and for the proportion of people that would be expected to um, have suicidal or homicidal ideation, and and those numbers are out there, you know, people can, you can get those numbers and the percentages. So putting all of that together, these reports, if they were accurate, which we know they're not because mine was it was false. It was a false correct. report. Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not all, not all reports are good reports, right? Okay.
1: Right, and and we don't know how many of them are false reports because people aren't told that they're reported. Right. They can't go and look. they don't get a chance to counter the report. Right? Right. right. So we don't know how many there are, but if they were all correct, this reporting is only catching 2.7 percent of its target population. So it's not even catching the population it's setting out to. But it's causing millions of people, and for gun owners, 280,000 every year not to seek care.
0: Mind-blowing. That's a problem. That's mind-blowing. and and problem. And the only people in a position to do anything are the actual credentialed providers. We are the only ones who can do it. We have to call our policymakers and say, stop this. Stop it. You're making my job harder, and you're making people sicker. Stop it. Unwind this law. Sadly, I don't know that any of us are motivated to do that. I don't know that we have the gumption. I don't know that we have the bandwidth anyway because we're all taking care of our patients. But if you have any moral compass whatsoever, you will contact your legislators and your other policymakers and and tell them to knock it off uh, because you're just you're going to see people get sicker and then they're going to stop coming in until it's too late. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And you're going to be complicit. If you don't speak up about this, you will be complicit in people being harmed. So I can't say that any clearer. Um, Doesn't like, again, I don't care what your opinion is of gun owners. It does not matter. What matters is that they will stop seeking help. And unless you actually like, are sinisterly, evilly wanting them to die or get worse, which is another ethical conundrum all unto itself. Then you will mm-hmm. speak up and speak out and stop this stuff from happening. It's insanity. Um,
1: it is. It is. It's um. It's very harmful. This 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 type of reporting to the government um, is just. It's very harmful, and on a population scale, it's it's just staggering. They're not capturing the population that they're intending to. And at the same time, they're preventing so many people from seeking care.
0: Yeah, the ones who probably should be captured, right? Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. Well, I you know what? I, this was intense and we ranted and um, I, I appreciate the work that you're doing. I know that you're going to continue uh Ghiaghi dente, as they say in Italian, turning your teeth on people—you know, like a snarling uh, bear. <laughs> uh, do bears bear, snarl? Yeah. I don't know if they snarl; they, they definitely growl. But they growl, they uh, growl. But yeah, keep keep at it. Uh, I'm I'm proud to know you. I'm I'm really thankful that you're doing the work that you do. It it stirs a fire in my belly, and uh, I hope that at least a few people who are listening might also take interest and take action. Uh, we can't sit passively by while people get worse. That's that's not ethical. It's not right. It's not humane. Uh, it's a whole bunch of things that it's not. So what do we do? We we speak up and we and we start to spread the message. So you know, if you want to spread this message, share the podcast. Um, you know, share it among your peer colleagues and be like, wow, I didn't know this stuff was going on. And then look in your own state to see if this is taking place in your state. There's like 27 states now, I think, or 23. I think it's up to 27 states that have uh, red flag laws or ERPO laws, extreme risk protection order laws. That ostensibly, you know, propose the same thing. Uh, it is the
1: same thing, too. It, yeah, this, this, all of this can be extrapolated and applied to any of those red flag laws, and I believe also we to the the national instant criminal Nix. Yeah, what's what's the S? Uh,
0: search, search. I think service. Search, 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 I don't know national instant whatever criminal to the Nix. Yeah.
1: The Nix mental health reporting. <clears throat> basically, you can also get put into a federal. A countrywide database. <laughs> if you meet a certain standard, and I know because I, you know, I've, I've talked to other people who have been put into that system in error. Yep. And it, it's a nightmare to try and get out of it. None of this should be happening. We shouldn't be criminalizing mental health
0: care. No, absolutely not. Not, not at all. And yet it's, it's happening. It's not, it's not hypothetical. It's not hyperbole. It's not, it's not conspiracy theory. I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. I'm literally watching these, this happen to people. I'm talking to them. One of them that you referenced, uh, falls into that category is Isaac Ritchie. He's on the walk, the talk America guns and mental health podcast, talking about how he got deposited into a national federal database for seeking care while he was in the army. And then Continued working in the army, got out of the army, and now he's like too sick to own firearms. It's like, and he he's struggling with recourse as well. It, you, these are our military veterans. These are our police officers. We're talking about this. Is, and he
1: was he was never told that no, he was put in there. No, he wasn't. He discovered it by accident.
0: Completely. Yep. yep.
1: So, so that's a piece of the problem too. Yep. it's this, it's this it's this sort of deceptive, sneaky aspect of trying to take away, you know, it, it's a right in our country, right? The right to bear yep. arms. but to take away that right, but also to take away things that are important to a person that are a part of their heritage, a part of their life that or, are meaningful. Or
0: full blown careers. Like cop, Isaac, yes. Isaac wanted to be a cop and New York just took it, a cop off the streets because it's stupid. And like, what, what are we doing? Um, I guess if that's the intent, cool. Uh, vote the people out who put it in there, and then vote new people in who are going to undo the the laws. If that's yeah, but but again, you got to explore your own state and see where where well, your representatives well, doing.
1: I'm going to go on a tangent. I know we're trying to wrap up, but because you brought it up about voting, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. bring it up. Yeah. So New York also just recently passed um, some new gun laws about it, I don't know safe concealed carry or something. I forget what the title is they gave it something some snappy title that they gave it. But basically they added a whole lot of new restrictions to where you can carry guns. And Sorry. so the the penalty for exercising your right, if you happen to step on the wrong property, is a felony. Felons can't vote. So if you if you make it so that you can't you can't exercise your right to vote, you can't bring in to the people undo who the, this.
0: Yep. To undo the thing that was perpetrated upon you. Yep. I know. Correct. Yep. Uh, and that is a great tie up, honestly. Like that's a great place to stop. Uh, it's a problem. We need to get, get rid of it. Um, we need we to, we just need, <laughs> we just need more well, freedom. It's just harmful. We yeah. need to stop doing harm is yeah. what we need to do. We're doing harm
1: here.
0: We are. Um, and I don't, I want to work myself out of a job, you know, like I don't need more sick people getting sicker. like I'm trying to help heal people. And it's, these things don't help that goal. So Sandy, thank you. I appreciate you coming in and, um, you're, you're not really, uh, reachable, uh, so to speak, I guess. But if people wanted to reach out to you, how, how might they do so?
1: That's a real good question. <laughs> you're, um... not, you're not on the
0: socials is what I'm saying. Like,
1: I'm not I'm not I don't I don't do a lot of social media it's just you know it's not my thing whatever uh yeah how could they reach me is a really good question because I'm not giving out my phone number or my email address um you could find me on LinkedIn
0: okay there we go Sandra Richardson that's
1: that's probably I know that yeah that's where that's another young man that's had this happen to him found me
0: actually Mm -hmm. good There you go. Yeah. You, you still have some, uh, some stuff to do before you can be truly uh, out there, so to speak. I do.
1: I do. And, and this is, I think, a cause that I will continue to work at, um, for quite a long time because it is hurting people. Uh, and it's, it's wrong, you know, in terms of what's right and wrong, this, this is a wrong thing that's happening.
0: Yeah. Well, erosion of civil liberties in any, uh, instance is always wrong. And, and this mm-hmm. is exactly that. And so this, mm-hmm. you know, to fight it is righteous and just and good. So, um, anyway, thank you. And I'm going to wrap up cause I'm sure my wife thank wants you. me home and you need to jump on another show. So thank on you. behalf of our Noggin notes family, all the way around the world, Naga notes, Cambodia, Noggin notes, Africa, uh, this Noggin notes podcast, uh, on behalf of the Zephyr wellness family uh, we wish you all mental, great mental wellness. And if you want to take a free and anonymous mental health screening, that uh, can be done at ZephyrWellness.org or WTTA.org love. Thanks, everybody. See you around.